Offscript with Super E recommends listener discretion as these real but sometimes uncensored stories can be filled with mature content. Hey everybody, Jay here, back with another Offscript with Super E. Setting to my left, as you can't see him, but I can, is A-Train. A-Train, say a little something. Hey, everybody. It is A-Train. Hope everybody's doing good. And the star of our show, as always, Super E. Super E, say a little something. Good morning, everybody. Hope you're having a good weekend. Right on. Right on. So we've covered a few great topics um, in our first few episodes, and uh, we're back today to get another one going. So I see no point in putting it off any longer. Super E. Tell us a tale. Well, um, a lot of times when we're doing things, you don't think something's going to result to anything. And then the next thing you know, you hit the jackpot. Okay. And this is, this is about 1993, maybe. And uh, I remember I had my two older partners that were uh, narcotics guys in the 70s who did things completely different than me, they had this They had this informant that was just a stone-cold hillbilly. And none of, his in, none of his information ever really panned out, and they got really frustrated with him. So they kind of passed him on to one of our new guys that we had in the uh, narcotics unit. And they said, hey, work with this hillbilly informant. See if you can get anything out of him. They didn't expect much out of him. So the new guy, you know, was talking to him, and all of a sudden, after a couple of weeks, this hillbilly calls the new guy and goes, hey, I got this uh, big guy. He wants me to broker a deal for some marijuana. Now, we're probably thinking about, you know, like a $200 marijuana buy, not much. And this hillbilly informer goes, no, uh, this uh, guy is trying to sell 32 pounds of marijuana that's a lot and of marijuana the new guy was like holy shit that's a lot of dope so we all got on board on it trying to help him out trying to figure out how we're going to do this you know how we go how are we going to make a 32 pound marijuana buy where are we going to get the money and how are we going to take this guy down as safe as possible so uh, real quick uh, you know you mentioned how are we going to get the money just kind of shed a little light on where that money comes from to, you know, go out and make those undercover buys or the undercover deals and prostitution. Obviously, it can't come right out of our pocket. So where, where does it come from? Well, like normally in the narcotics unit, you expect maybe to spend 500 1000 maybe 1500 but on this one, we were thinking the same thing because each pound that this guy, this marijuana dealer, was selling was a thousand dollars a pound. Okay, and this was back. What was this? Nineteen ninety something. Ninety nineteen ninety three. Okay. So that. So we're like, okay, where do we get thirty two thousand dollars from? Because nobody had thirty two thousand dollars in the narcotics unit to right. spare. And and uh, and so was there just like a big of money sitting in a cupboard or, or how did 
covered. You know, where, where did you go to, like, like when you reported in for the day and you were getting ready to, to hit the street, who supplied you with the money to use for that day for your shift? Well, every day you had at least $300 in your pocket. You had a standing basically account of always having $300. Okay. And if let's say you spend a hundred dollars in one day, you would do a receipt, turn it in and they would, uh, give you, uh, amount of money to get you back up to $300. So okay. it was a daily tabulation. And, and who is, had. who is day? Is that a supervisor? Or is that the property yeah, room? The or? Supervisor that was assigned to, uh, dole out the money. Gotcha. Okay. And so that, that $300 that, you know, you would have every day, I mean, that, that's good for, you know, a, uh, your, the your street, smaller street, street buys and all that, Yeah, but, but not 32 level. grand. Yeah. No, no, yeah. that, that would be moving into, let's say if the fed, if we were helping the feds. Right. Right. Okay. And uh, usually the feds, they, you know, the most I ever spent with the feds was like, I think about $10,000. So this was kind of uncharted territory. Okay. Okay. So what'd you guys do? Had you, had you. Well, we looked around and said, what do we do? What do we do? And then somebody said, hey, call the credit union, the police credit union, because they've got tons of money. And the new guy, who hadn't been doing this very long, he goes, there's no way I want to take out $32,000 because um, the head guy at the credit union said, whoever takes this out signs their name to a piece of paper, and if you lose that, that individual or individuals who sign their name have to repay that back. So Mr. Drysdale was on board. (laughs) Yeah, Mr. Drysdale said negative on that. Ah. Uh Uh (laughs) And Mr. Howell wasn't going to go for it either. But um, anyways, so nobody in the office said, uh, I I, want to do that. But I looked at my uh, sergeant, who was, he was a good guy. And kind of, he was like kind of a maniac. And but you just couldn't tell by looking at him. You thought he'd just look like an old heavy set guy, the guy that used to be in them commercials in that movie about the old people that felt young. What was oh, Wilfred Brimley. Wilfred Brimley. Well, okay. It's you'll the never, right. never get any older, and you're never, never going to die. Imagine it's the right thing to do. That's good. Thank you. Go on, Super E. Sorry, didn't mean and to interrupt. He was you. also Pops in one of my favorite yeah. baseball movies of all time. Oh uh, yeah. So. uh so I looked at the sergeant, and I said, hey, I'll sign my name. And he goes, fuck it, I'll sign my name. So we signed our name when we went down there to get the 32000 I imagined we'd be carrying out three or four briefcases full of money. Right. <laughs> it was It was like two stacks of money, about two inches tall. I said, that's it, that's it, that's thirty-two grand right there. We stack thirty two hundred dollar bills on top of each other, and you know. Let me ask you this: Was the disappointment at seeing that small stack of cash? Do you think it was as disappointed as Star was when she? uh, You know, that's a previous episode, everybody. If you haven't heard that, you need to go Uh, go back listen to episode one to see what Star was up to. Yeah, Uh I don't. I don't think Star expected much from her clientele. Okay, all right, but nor from me either. Right, but uh, anyways. So generally, when you're doing a, a drug buy and you're spent and you're using money, you've got to record all that money, serial numbers and all that. Right. You can't do that with $32,000. You can, you know, we took as many pictures of it as we could and took down, you know, 
serial numbers from each from the stack. But you know, thirty. I I don't recall doing every serial number. We might have. So the was, uh, was that before the practice of just putting it all on the um, copy machine and. Yes. Okay. Yes, this was before the practice of doing that. Okay. They were. If it was 1993, they were probably using like a Polaroid, or or, <laughs> I, uh, I was just thinking, or like yeah. a, a stone tablet, just chiseling the numbers into right. it. Right. You know, <laughs> sorry. Go ahead, Super. So me, me and the Sarge go down and pick up the money, and we bring it back. And um, so now you got to. Okay. Now back then, where I was talking about nowadays, you do op plants and all this. A train was kind of correct. It was kind of like a fan out boys mentality back then. Uh-huh. Fan out boys. <laughs> that was the uh, that well, was the off with the pass. <laughs> yeah. All right. So on this one, we knew that the was a big guy, a big heavy set guy, and he was always armed with a thirty eight. Okay. And the hillbilly CI said he's always armed with a thirty eight. He keeps it at the very front of his in in his. Um, belt buckle by his stomach he's he's going to expect you to have a gun too okay and so the sergeant who had tons of guns laying around he said you need a gun that doesn't look like a police gun doesn't look like a glock right so he hands me this big pearl pearl hand handled dirty hairy cannon that was chrome nice and goes put this down the front of your pants so i was like 10 four but then I had my police gun in my back. And then Sarge was uh, taking pictures of me. I said, why are you taking Polaroid pictures, by the way? Why are you taking pictures of me? He goes, I just want the SWAT team to know what you look like when we do the takedown. Oh, okay. And I said, okay, the SWAT guy should know who I am. I said, you tell those pussies not to mess up my hair. Now, I was joking around. <laughs> Because as we all know, we all the SWAT guys are the true bad boys. Sometimes Kevin has a sense of humor. <laughs> right, 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 right. And of course, you were saying that tongue-in-cheek to your brothers yes, on the SWAT it team. Just, I it love just, the SWAT guys. Right. Even, oh, they're the real, they're the bad boys. Yes, yeah, sometimes they might come off as arrogant pricks, but we love them. Of course we do. But, uh, but the plan was that I was going to go in. Give this dude $32,000, and when he brought in inside the informant's house, now remember this is in the extremely impoverished uh, Hillbill area of the city we worked, and so um, it was one of them old, old houses, and it had the shingles on the, you know, the the whole house was shingled on the roof, on the sides. You oh, yeah. yeah, 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 I know what you're talking about, yeah. Uh, and it had a real old screen door on the front. That's what I remember about it. All right. And the living room was very small. So this is where this is all going to happen at, in the small front living room. And once I gave the signal on a transmitting device, the SWAT team was going to come bursting in, take everybody down to the ground, including me, right, and put everybody in cuffs and act like, everybody's going to jail. Okay. And so I had never been on the inside of a house where the SWAT team did one of their search warrants. I was always on the outside and it was terrifying to watch from the outside. I had no idea what it was going to be like on the inside. Okay. Yeah. So the, <laughs> the person 
that was going to be listening to my transmissions, he was a sergeant, and he was another sergeant, and uh, he was a little heavy set, and uh, they gave him the nickname of Mongo. And the code word was, when I saw the 32 pounds of marijuana, Mongo's going to like this shit. That was the uh, that was the takedown code, huh? That was the takedown. All right. I meant for them to come in. So, anyways, I get to the house, and there's probably fifty people on the outside, all hiding. So it's just me, this lunatic hillbilly informant that I didn't trust at all. Now, fifty coppers or fifty people just in general there was there were guys from uh several other narcotics units and the SWAT guys okay so if i think about it maybe 50 i'm embellishing it might have been about 25 but it was all good so, guys out there a lot of cops yeah. though yeah. yeah a lot of good guys out yeah. there okay yeah. okay so um but i'm in this house by myself with this informant that i think is kind of insane and I, I personally thought he was full of shit, but right. I was, you know, you gotta, you gotta try. And, uh, so you weren't a hundred percent sure that, uh, that this guy was really had 32 pounds of weed. I, I wasn't a hundred percent sure of, that he would even show up. Okay. Got it. I wasn't sure of that, but I was hundred percent percent sure that this hillbilly could be a lunatic okay. and might be lying. And, I was a little concerned about being set up because I'm the only dude in the house. And, you know, there's going to be a guy coming in with a gun and he had it. He's going to have his wife with him, too. I don't know if she's going to. I don't know anything about her. If she's going to have a gun. Hey, so. Supri, let's talk a little bit about that. So, okay, so you're a guy. You're walking into this house with this, uh, this informant that you don't 100% trust with $32,000, right? Correct. So when you say, you know, you were a little afraid, maybe you were getting set up, what, what are you talking about? Explain that to us a little bit. What what happens out on the street sometimes? Well, we they call them rips. Okay. Where, um, here's what happens with people what they when they try to set up um, sellers or buyers of weed. Right. They call them rips. They'll tell them, like, in about, I think it was about 2011, some some marijuana dealer was um, said he had like I believe about close to thirty pounds of marijuana he was looking to sell, and two young guys said they had thirty thousand dollars and said uh, for him to meet him over at this house I think it was like an abandoned house they they would do the you know the exchange there, and what the two younger guys did to the guy bringing the marijuana they executed him took all the 30 pounds of weed, if I remember correctly. And, you know, they never had any intentions of paying a guy. It was a, it was a, a rip set up from the start. So, and, you know, I, it, it crossed my mind, like, Hey, are these guys going to try to, you know, rip me and then take off out the back door and try to get, get yeah. the hell out of there. Did, did you think the informant could have been in on the rip? Do you, do you yeah, think he could have been know, setting you up? Something that goes through your head. There's always crazy possibilities because I'm not saying I don't think I don't think the marijuana dealer was used drugs. Right. He was a businessman. Mm -hmm. He sold marijuana. 
He wasn't into using crack, cocaine, or anything like that. Right. So but, the the yeah. informant, there's a reason why we call them the informants. I mean, we're not exactly yeah. deputizing these yeah. people, right? It, yeah. And, and Ernie, exactly. so I guess what I'm getting at is, I mean, it's not, it's not, a, it's not, I'm sorry. Yes, Super E, it's a train. <laughs> it's not uncommon to, you know, that, that these guys setting up, you know, these drug deals that they rip the people off coming in right. to buy. Right. So that is, that, that is something you always have to be wary of. That's a whole nother level of, of concern for you when you go in these things. And were you concerned at all that with the uh, drug dealer bringing his wife along that she was going to walk in and look at you and go, Oh my God, it's Ray. <laughs> Ray, you busted me two years ago. <laughs> yes, that is, that is always, that is always a concern of, meeting somebody let's say because when when i made all them vice arrests for a couple years you know we're we're talking about you know hundreds you never know who you're going to meet right never and so um that was that was kind of a concern but my main concern was the stability of that informant and what he might be up to because let's say the drug dealer was on, on you know on the up and up i'm on the up and up an informant seeing $32,000, he might think he could grab it and take off and go. You don't know how nuts these people can be. Right. So you, you had, really don't. Yeah. You, this guy had an extensive criminal history, the informant. Yeah. So you got several things to worry about when you're in there doing that stuff, don't you? Yes. You're, the funny thing about it, when you're doing undercover stuff, you got to act like a normal person, a normal person trying to buy drugs. But inside your brain is spinning around of, of taking everything in, okay? Who's in that room over there? Is there is is there a place for somebody to hide and jump me? You know, I got to pay attention though. Is that who's behind there? You know, right. how many people are outside? Right. So you have so many variables going through your head while you're trying to act relaxed and normal and like nothing's going so, on. So, and that in itself, I mean, that's 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 a gift, and that's a, a I'm sure it's somewhat of a gift. I'm sure it's somewhat learned, but you have to split your um, officer safety cop brain to your I gotta be normal Ray brain. Right. You know, that's um that that could be a tall order for 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 people. It's kinda it's kinda like being kind of like a bipolar thing. You gotta think one way on this and another way on something else. That so explains you gotta do two things yeah. at once. So that okay, so your diagnosis helped you on this. Is that what yeah, I'm yeah, just so kidding, Ernie? <laughs> very handy but yes. uh <laughs> so anyways but the main plan was for once i gave the signal mongo's gonna like this shit swat team comes in the variable that i forgot about was my good humored but very unflattering comments i made about the swat team being a bunch of pussies and all uh -huh. the, oh and i also said this might have irked him a little bit i said Tell him not to mess up my hair. <laughs> so why would he pass that along? <laughs> because he, I think he thought it would be funny for right. him to mess up my hair. Uh -huh. Okay, I got you. Uh -huh. So you're there, you're waiting. What happened next? All right. So I go in there and I meet the informant. I mean, I'm there with the informant. I'm talking about what's going on. And I think I might advise him. He better do exactly what he's told or bad things can happen to him. So I think I gave him that little lecture. Sure. So we're waiting. 
I hear, I hear a car and I see the headlights pull up and, um, the large, you know, gently taps on the door and the informant opens it up and, uh, he does the introductions and I'm thinking this, this marijuana dealer is a big dude. He would be, a, he'd be hard to handle if he got a head of steam coming at you. Mm-hmm. You better step out of his way. Mm-hmm. But I immediately see the gun in his waistband. It's like a 38. Right. And then the informant makes the introductions. And then I can see the, his, the drug dealer. He's looking down and he sees my whatever it was, dirty, hairy gun with the pearl handles. Right. And he seemed not to be uh, threatened by it. He seemed to be kind of relaxed by it. Oh, yeah, this guy's got a gun, too. And he comments, I think, on the pearl handles. Okay. And then he asked to see the money. And I, I put the money down on the, a coffee table for him. Of course, it had camel cigarette stains on the coffee table and burns. Of course. Um, but he looks at it, and he expected the money to be taller, too. Uh-huh. The, the stack to be taller and fatter. All right. And he looks at it, and he's like, uh, hey, is it all here? And I go, yeah, counted it. And he looks at it, and then he goes, well, okay, this stack is taller than this other stack because the short stack is brand new money. That's why it's, I said, oh, thanks. He gave me a little lesson on how to count money very quickly. Okay. Helpful. And so once he was satisfied that I had the money and everything was going smoothly, his girlfriend was going to bring in the bags of marijuana. And I found out quickly that his girlfriend's name was Donna. Okay. Because the drug dealer goes, as soon as he was happy with everything, he goes, Donna, bring in the stuff. (laughs) And I heard this door open up and then I heard this plodding and kind of thundering up the steps. And this, great big woman who looks like she'd work on a dairy farm to lift cows up to be milked. Um, <laughs> she just brings in 32 pounds of marijuana in, you know, two bags of it. Like she, you know, she was carrying feathers. And so I'm thinking, okay, besides her husband, if she got ahead of steam and came at you, you better get out of the way. Cause she had flattened you too. Cause they both, I think they both could wear the same pair of Sansa belts. And, uh, so as soon as, you know, she comes in and I'm talking to her and we're making conversation about, you know, you don't sit there and just talk about drugs all the time. You know, she's like, Oh, how you doing? Blah, blah, blah. My name's Ray. Oh, you're Donna. And so you do this kind of like courteous little chit chat back and forth to each other. Right. Pleasantries. Uh, yeah. So as I'm doing what you said, the pleasantries, um, my mind is thinking, Okay. I've got to get, I got to give the code word and I have to be out of the way of the SWAT team when they come in. But I also have to be ready if the drug dealer or anybody else is going to take a shot at the SWAT guys coming Mm. in. Right. I got to be prepared to eliminate their threat towards the SWAT guys. So I got to protect myself, but I also got to protect the SWAT guys. Who are coming in with a head of steam, pissed off at me at my negative comments prior right. to that. And at the same time, remain Ray. I mean, that's yes. a that that's that's an that's an incredible thing that that you got yeah, all so those you're things. Balancing going on. all this stuff. Right. So it was kind of like the calm before the storm. There was like a little lull in the conversation, and it's like I, I could hear the wind blowing. It was like at the Wizard of Oz before the tornado hit. Wow. And then 
I, I just heard that old storm door. I just heard it, the, you know, when they just, oh, I heard, Now, now, Super E, did you give the, did you give the code oh, word? Yeah. Yes, I forgot. When I thought everything was ready, I go, Mongo's going to like this shit. And I could tell that the drug dealer, like, who the fuck is Mongo? <laughs> <laughs> and so, and then, so once I said that, I heard the storm door just, it just went like this. And then it was like an explosion. There was no explosions. There was nothing like that. No flashbangs. Came in so fast. It was like an explosion. And also, I thought they cut off the power because all the lights went out. Mm-hmm. In my head, the lights went out. But oh. no, the lights didn't go out. They come in so fast and so furious. And they take you to the ground. I mean, you don't know what's going on. And next thing you know, I was from being standing up. To my mouth was eating the dirty ass carpet mm. in that dumpy house. And they were, I don't know which SWAT guy it was, because it seemed like there's a whole bunch of feet, but they were all standing <laughs> on my back. And they go, Oh, look, this badass has two guns. Because I had my police gun in the back. Right. And, but before, okay, I'm sorry, before they stomped on me, they grabbed the great pissed his pants and they threw him on he lands on top of me oh ouch and i'm like oh my god then they used me like they were getting ready to do the high dive springing <laughs> off me. and that's when they're talking about oh this son of a bitch thinks he's badass he's got two guns so thank they god you know just real quick thank god one of them didn't pull the your duty gun out and go oh this must be stolen it's got our stamp on it because if i recall back then they still stamped uh the side of it with our badge well he did they did take both guns off me and that's when he goes you got two guns <laughs> and i was like i said i think they're i don't think they like my comments earlier because it seemed a little irritating so that me. came up when they briefed then that that came up so so did they do a little bullying of you Super just, a little, just a little bit. Just yeah. a, I think I was uh, learning a lesson. Uh huh. Little. Uh, right. Did they, yeah. did they manhandle you just a little bit? They picked me up. I'm sorry. They jerked me up, cuffed me behind my back, tossed me outside like I didn't pay my bar bill. <laughs> and then another guy caught me. They threw me in the police car, locked it before they locked the door. Remember, I'm handcuffed behind my back. I can't do nothing. I'm in the back seat of one of them squad cars that has the, uh, so you can't get into the front seat, one of the shields. Oh, right. shield car. Right. And they they knew I hated country music, so what did they do? The, they turned the car on, turn on the country music that I hate, and start dying laughing. This will cool <laughs> you Oh, they were getting back super Oh, that's good. That's, that's, man, that's, that's good stuff. Um, so real quick, we're, this episode's winding down, but um, just out of curiosity and maybe curious to the listeners, the CI you were using, if you can just like, like give us a brief um, story about what he did and how he became your CI. Okay. Imagine if Joe Dirt was doing drugs, okay. selling drugs, and I think he was just like stealing, 
Mm-hmm. Right. And he was he was just a low level pain in the ass in the community, doing drugs, stealing, right. that kind of thing. Right. So that's that was his story, you know. And I, I I'm trying to remember his criminal history. It was nothing to brag about. Right. Yeah. But yeah, he he was a guy that was constantly on the uniform guy's radar in that area. The okay. patrol cars are around that area. Right, right. But they were well aware of him and what he would always be up to. But those are the guys you get the info from, isn't it? You know? Yeah, those yeah, are the guys that know what's going on. Yeah, I don't know how he became an informant to my two older partners, but I know they they were getting a little exasperated with him. They just thought he was an idiot. So they thought, well, let's let the new guy deal with him. And as soon as he goes to the new guy, he comes up with all this great information because afterwards – after I was uncuffed and allowed to leave, um, we all went back to the office and this drug dealer, he just, he just like, yep, I got 172 more pounds at home. What? So when we got back to the office, we have to type up a, an additional uh, search warrant for this guy's house. Uh, to make sure that we had all our P's and Q's together. Right. Uh, do the probable cause, get an extra search warrant. Uh, even though he gave consent, you just want to make sure it was right. If I remember correctly, we did another search warrant. And he had 172 pounds at his house. Wow. That's a great hit. Great hit. Great hit. Great mm-hmm. story. Great work, as always. My gosh. Um, well, you know, A-Train, do you have anything to add to that? N- nothing other than, you know, Ernie, let me ask you this on on uh, subsequent uh, operation. Okay, train. <sighs> Super E, this is a train. <laughs> on subsequent, you know that we're, we're trying real hard. But. On uh, subsequent uh, operations and deals, did you disparage the SWAT team again? Do you recall? No, I don't think I. I, I don't think I did. I think I was like, "Hey, you guys are great." You, you think you might have learned your lesson, huh? I did learn. I, I I did learn my lesson of not being in the same room with them when they were doing a search warrant and being a bad guy. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's that's yeah. a good policy. I but think. I, I I'm guessing it had to be impressive though, as well trained. Extreme. I was extremely impressed yeah. with how fast, efficient, and just how quickly they took control of the scene. It right. was like. And just in like in a second, it seemed like they had everything under control. Right, and that's 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 what they're supposed to. That's what they're there for. It's why they train, train, train. You know, that's and that's what I do. I give them credit, man. Those guys yeah. train all the time. They do, and I think um, becoming a member of the SWAT team is one of the toughest application processes within the department that that there is. I think it has to be the toughest application process yeah. to go yeah. through. Yeah, and and it has to be. I mean, it it just it has to be. Well, yeah. you know what, um, Super E, you got anything to close us out with? Any any thoughts? Any wisdom? Anything? We're getting ready to close this episode out. Uh, no, I don't have any thoughts on that. But just uh, if you're just a regular citizen out there, and these stories sound crazy to you, just remember we did all this because the our community was requesting that we do something about the crime in their area and the drug problems. So, I mean, people who are not used to living in areas that have a lot of crime, they got to realize that the people that do live in these areas, 
they want as much help as possible because they want to raise their kids in a safe environment. They just want to live in a safe environment without having to worry about everything they own being stolen or broken. That's very well said. Well, Super well said. Well said. All right. Well, we're going to close out this um, episode. Hope everybody enjoyed it and hope you will continue to listen to Off Script with Super E. Take us out, A-Train. That was the wrong music. <laughs> yeah, you got a little crazy over there with that uh, wrong button. Go, go ahead and try it again. Hit the right button. Let's try a different one. Yeah. Yeah.